I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Deep Dish Radio. I'm Tim Powers, and this is my show. Hey, I am uh, I am really glad that you have joined me today. Uh, I am really excited about today's guests, which are a pair of filmmakers who are creating a documentary about Charlton Comics, uh, a, uh, a comics publisher from, from the 40s all the way through uh, the 80s. And uh, while you may not have heard of them, their influence on the industry and on even today's popular culture is, uh, is pretty impressive. It's, it's going to be a neat, neat... Well, first of all, I love the interview, but the story that they're going to get around to telling is even better, and we'll introduce them in just a little bit. Um, I have really enjoyed getting emails from you and some, uh, some Twitter messages and things like that. So I'd like to encourage you to do more of that, folks. Uh, go ahead. If there's something you want to hear on the show, you want to give me some feedback, I would love that. Email me. This, uh, my email address is tim at deepdishradio.com. That's tim at deepdishradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. It is uh, at deepdishradio. And I understand that there is a uh, Facebook page as well. So uh, if you are on the Facebook, look for me, Deep Dish Radio, right there on uh, Facebook. We've also been getting some listens all over the world. I check, uh, I check just about every day to see when and who and how people are listening to this, uh, this silly little show. So if you're in Holtzville, New York, thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening quite a bit. Uh, we're getting hits from France and Russia and Turkey and Japan. Thank you very much. We're really glad that you are a part of the show. And thanks to my friend Ian Lee. Uh, we've got a spike in the UK. So thank you very much. I am, uh, I am honored as I sit here in my little Los Angeles basement uh, putting this little show together for you. I am honored that my voice is heard all around the world. And I'd like to hear yours, actually. So if you have something you want to share with me, Tim at Deep Dish Radio, or I welcome your tweets uh, on Twitter at Deep Dish Radio. There's all kinds of great stuff coming up uh, in, uh, in episodes uh, in the future. So if you are a fan of all the things that we talk about here on the show, everything from music to comics to movies to television to just whatever strikes my fancy, uh, please continue to join us. Thank you very, very much. It is really uh, a pleasure here in front of you. So Charlton Comics, I always considered them kind of the Shasta of comics. It was never quite Coke or Pepsi, but if you got one, it was pretty good, you know. Uh, it was a publishing company, uh, 
in Connecticut that was started by a couple of guys who met in prison. And it lasted, like I said, all the way through the golden age of World War II comics, all the way through the 50s into the 80s. And when I started reading comics in 1975, there they were on the stands. And I always looked at them because I didn't recognize any of the characters. I knew my Supermans and I knew my Batmans, but never recognized any of those. But they published horror comics and romance and crime and uh, funny animals. But they're probably most famous now, known for their action heroes, which is uh, their term for the superheroes. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But they never got as popular as your Batmans or your Captain Americas. Uh, But the talent that came out of Charlton was world class. So let me throw a few names at you, see if you recognize any of them. Denny O'Neill, Jim Aparo, Bob Layton, my pal Bob Layton, Don Newton, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, which a comics artist friend of mine calls the master, uh, Paul Kupperberg, Steve Ditko, the creator of Spider-Man, Neil Adams, one of the most influential artists on today's comics, and a couple of kids from Cleveland named Siegel and Schuster. You might have heard of some of the things that they did. Uh, so despite not being big sellers or, uh, or super popular characters, you know, they never had uh, the flagship character of a Superman or a Spider-Man. Uh, without Charlton, there would not have been The Watchmen, probably one of the most important comics ever published. And, uh, well, my guests today, Keith and Jackie, are not only uh, comic fans, but they are world-class filmmakers. And they're finally putting together uh, a chronicle of the important cornerstone of comics history. Um in a documentary called Charlton Comics The Movie and it's it's going to feature a lot of really really interesting things so if you love comics and you appreciate the history of the medium this is for you if you have an interest on how American art meets American commerce this is for you so buckle in uh, you're going to meet Keith and Jackie right after this <laughs> It's Deep Dish Podcast. Subscribe today and tell a friend about Deep Dish Podcast with Tim Powers. With Tim Powers. Um, Why don't we get started? You guys introduce yourselves so that people can recognize your voices as we talk. Uh, Me first? Yeah, you go first. I was going to let you go first. Oh, um, you can go first. I always go first. I'm chivalrous. Uh, Keith Larson, co-producer of Charlton Comics, the movie. And I'm Jackie Zabushka, the other co-producer of Charlton Comics, the movie. And uh, for, gosh, I don't know how long this project's been, been around, but I've been aware of it for about a year now. And you've been trying to uh, to tell the story of uh, of Charlton. I always thought of them as the number three publisher uh, in the 70s, and I don't know if that's accurate or not, but the story behind yeah, it's arguable. Um, the content was always good. The content was always interesting. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the story behind it, the story behind the actual publication and how it all happened uh, is really fascinating. Tell me a little bit about what we can expect from Charlton Comics, the movie. A lot of humor. <laughs> yeah i think if it was a charlton comic it would be like you know hilarious stories uh or you know it'd be one of those goofy titles like you know 
or even unbelievable tales. Unbelievable tales. Unbelievable tales. Of funniness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, zaniness. Tales, tales of the unexpected. That you know what? Yeah. yeah at every turn. Honestly, <laughs> um, you know the whole thing. The genesis was that we went to a panel, um, stumbled into it by accident, because we saw the the players' names who were hosting this panel: the Danny O'Neills, Bob Layton's, and who had what have you. Right. And we got in with expecting to hear their stories of you know their illustrious careers behind Batman, Iron Man, etc. And instead, they talked about Charlton. And um, we, uh, to be honest, we weren't happy about that at first. <laughs> no, we were like, I didn't even know what they were. Keith had like vague recollections, and so we're like, well, let's just give it the polite five minutes, rest our feet up, and then we'll very politely slink out the back. Um, but within two minutes, we moved to the front row so we could hear better because these. These stories just sucked us right in. They're completely unbelievable, but and absolutely true. And I think what's actually funny about that is we were with two other people who did leave the panel. Yeah. And then came back toward the end and, and you know, we're upset that they missed it. So Suckers. Yeah. yeah. And that was the inspiration. Just the goofy stories we heard there are kind of the ones that we put into that first trailer that we launched last year. The, last the talent that came out of, uh, out of Charlton who... Um, you know who, who worked at, at Charlton are uh, you know luminaries of the industry. So we're looking at we're looking at Steve Ditko. We're looking at John Byrne, Joe Staten, um, uh, Don Newton, um, Jerry uh, Siegel, Joe Schuster. Joe. Yeah, they they did a brief spell there. I understand they're responsible for some comics. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then yeah, like Denny and even Neil Adams did some stuff there for a while, and you know, just about anybody. Joe Sinnott. I mean, it goes on and on. Um, yeah. Dick Giordano, of course. Of course. Um, you know, the, it's it's somehow in some way just about everybody who went on to bigger and better did something there, part time, extra cash, started there, what have you. Um, they, Mike Zach. I mean, like it goes on and on. You know? Yeah. The problem is that with uh, when they went out of publication, there was no way to find out who actually did this work. So you have people, you have people today who know the stories because they read the comics but people who are new and unfamiliar to charlton they have no idea is that be is that because all the records were lost in the fire well it's not it's just so much as nobody really put it up on the internet charlton what didn't really have its resurgence until uh the early 1999 actually was the first yahoo group that appeared for charlton comics where a bunch of fans got together and some of the creators and started rehashing old stories and trading covers um, but it's funny when, when we ran our Indiegogo campaign last October, some of the comments on some of our, our news posts about it were like, how can you be called, you know, comic book, lifelong comic book nerds and you've never heard of Charlton. And it's like, well, I was still in Pampers when they went out of business <laughs> and Keith probably had to hold a hand across the street. So no, I was in high school, but you know, I remember seeing the Charlton's on the racks and just, they just. When I was young, you know, I started reading comics in the late seventies, and it just—I was into Marvel and DC, and that just didn't appeal to me. Right. You know, I see army books and western books and spooky books, and I was just like, whatever, I don't want those. And they look cheap, you know, on the same rack. They looked—they looked really budget. Yeah, yeah, relative to the Marvels and and even the DCs at the time. Uh, yeah. Charlton, you know, the, the printing was a little off. The colors were a little loud. Even the ads looked a little chintzy. And, uh, and the it, covers weren't even glossy. They were just flat, you know, just. And a lot was, of them were painted, I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. if you do collect them and you put them in the in the bags and boards, be very careful when you tape oh, them man. shut because because the tape will literally peel the ink right off the paper or it'll rip the cover in half. Yeah. So be very careful. I have several damaged old Charlton comics that I've self-inflicted wounds on. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to put it back in the bag and the tape grabs and that's it. And I mean, once it sticks, that's it. That's it. Well, let's uh, let's back up and do the the teaser story on the history of uh, of Charlton Comics. How did this whole How did Charlton Comics start? <laughs> he said, lobbing you a softball. Yeah, it was the brainchild of a man who was a construction and a man who was a lawyer, and they both got busted for white collar crimes. And don't know exactly how they met in prison, but they did, and they somehow decided let's start a, a publishing company. And they named it after their two sons, who were both named Charles, so it became Charlton. Um, but uh, John Sanangelo, he was a construction worker, and he got into printing song lyrics illegally. And that was he was busted by ASCAP for that. And then Ed Levy was a lawyer out of New Haven, Connecticut, and he was busted as part of a $1.2 million embezzlement scheme for the city of Waterbury. And he, he's one of 26 that took a fall for it. Wow. Um, so, but that's that's the history of where the company got started. One of the first song pirates. <laughs> and yeah. he was called the godfather of bootlegging, according to Variety. <laughs> that's beautiful. I'd be proud of that title. Yeah, no kidding. So so in 1930-whatever, he's publishing Tin Pan Alley uh, song lyrics. Yep. And Ill- the, illegally. The reason yeah. why he was so successful is that uh, you could purchase... The music, but you had to purchase the lyrics with the song sheets for 35 cents per song. He got the brilliant idea to get, I think, about 10 songs, photocopied just the lyrics onto a large card, something like 11 by 17. And he would distribute them to storefronts and newsstands and say, charge 10 cents. You keep 5 cents. I'll pick up whatever you don't sell in the other 5 cents. And very shortly, he was selling over 7 million copies a month. And ASCAP quickly took notice. Wholesale bootlegging. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> the, man knew, the man knew business, that's for sure. But, you know, he, he made a decent amount of money. He comes out and he does, he, uh, Charlton, Charlton Publishing comes out and they, they legitimize this, uh, this song lyrics business. And that becomes the foundation of the publishing company. Is that right? Yeah, their yeah. first publication was was Hit Parader, and from literal start to literal finish, that was their breadwinner. That was the first thing they printed. That was the last thing they sold when the company went under. Um, so that was their bread and butter. They they did have a couple other song magazines, Country Song Ride, uh, Roundup, and they acquired hit songs from another company that was their rival. Wow, and that survived through the eighties. It did, it did. And Hip Parader, I mean, when that was sold, it finally went belly up, I think, in 2008 was when uh, the magazine ceased publishing. But I think Charlton, they sold that in 1992. I'm not sure for how much, but that was their baby. <laughs> you wonder what song they looked at and go, we just can't do this anymore. You know, <laughs> what, what was on the charts in 1992 where they're like, no, no, we're, we're not going to publish these lyrics anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so they're, they're publishing, they're, they're printing legitimate magazines, and they look at each other and they say, well, the presses need to run at night. What can we do? Right? Well, it wasn't so much of that. They figured that it wasn't cost-effective to shut them down overnight. So they thought, what, how can we keep them running? And so that's where the content And still generate revenue. Yeah. You know, so. Interesting. 
Yeah, but they weren't companies. They knew they could sell comic books. Yeah. Um, they just didn't really put much QA behind it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um, but, but the thing about Charlton is everything was in that one Connecticut plant, right? All the talent, all of the, uh, all of the editorial, even the presses were right there in that building, right? was it was between 150 and 200,000 square feet and I guess it took about five minutes to from go to end to end walking like seven and a half acres or something like that yeah you know with including the parking lot of course yeah um yeah and it's they had a core of talent inside but a lot of them also worked from home and would mail their stuff in Uh, yeah I can't imagine Ditko leaving New York to he, he did, actually, actually. Did. He, he he would and, stay in a hotel. Uh, Joe Gill, they rented out rooms from a from a hotel that was in downtown Derby. So that's where Steve would come, and he would stay in that hotel, commute to the factory, and then go back to New York in his off time. Crazy, yeah. yeah. But a guy like Joe Sinnott would do his at night, his romance comics. He'd just bang them out at night, and then after dinner, and then just mail them in. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he never really went down there ever. Joe stayed and worked remote. A lot of them did, but. Uh, yeah. What ha- what have you guys discovered about Charlton fandom as you go through this project? It is alive and well. It's out there. Um, and the, the thing is, though, is a lot of people, some people are on the Facebook page, which is pretty active. They've got about 2,000 members there. Um, it's called the, just in case people want to join in, it's called the Charlton Arrow on Facebook. Uh, that's a pretty active community, but there are still people out there who aren't social media inclined, but you see them at the cons and they're leaping through boxes. Like the love is definitely there. Now, are these, are these folks older than Keith and me or are they, are they of all ages? <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually. love how you quickly determined how <laughs> we're about the same age. Keith, you and I started reading comics about the same time, so I'm going to guess we're about the same age. Yeah. Like demon in a bottle era. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. About the time Kirby returned to Captain America, and we're all set. Yeah. Um, but actually, uh, last year at a con, Terrificon at Mohegan Sun, which is happening in August, it's a good show. You should check it out. Right. Um, Mort Todd, who was one of the founders of the Charlton Neo Media, he introduced us to a 15 year old boy who was very much into comics, but he got bored with Marvel and DC, and so he wanted something else, and he discovered Charlton at an antique shop. <laughs> so he's our, our youngest fan that we're aware of, and he this kid knows his stuff. And he's constantly emailing us about, oh, I went to this tag sale, and I found this and this and that. And I went to, <laughs> this, and I went to the assignment store, and I got spooky tales number whatever, and oh, it's hilarious. He's so into it. Yeah. But he's he knows his stuff. He's like, he knows more than a lot of comic historians that we've come across. Yeah, I mean, he'll he'll just pop off and say, like, oh, yeah, a nine-panel a nine page, typical Ditko. <laughs> <laughs> I want to adopt this kid. That's adorable. So we, we quickly, after meeting him, realized that he should be part of the film uh, because of his age, mostly. Right. Yeah. And, and we thought we'd go down and do a token in 10 or 15 minute interview with him because just you know a young Charlton fan is kind of cool in this day and age right he ends up being this like amazingly astute kid yeah I think we did an hour 15 hour 20 yeah just the so, things that came out of his mouth were just like you, you're so he might be more than one token soundbite in the movie I have absolutely yeah <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> he was shockingly in, uh, well read yeah that's astounding. You would you would think that there would be a, a resurgence of uh, of interest in Charlton following Watchmen, 
uh, either following the publication of the comic or even following the publication of the movie. Yeah. Was there a spike or, or was there not a spike? I don't think so. I, you know, it, you can make the same argument for when they put, you know, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold or Captain Adam in the Justice League. And um, I don't think people realize where those characters came from. I really don't. Yeah, if you and, look uh, at the online press, there really wasn't a huge cross-promotion to recognize origin stories, very sadly. The geeks know, but the new age geeks don't. Well, right. it kind of reminds me of we, we came across a guy dressed as Rorschach at one of these cons, and uh, we just stopped him to goof and ask him some questions, and he didn't know where the character came from. So we told him, and now he follows us. But does he come dressed as the question? I suppose that's no. A, he still no. comes as Rorschach, but you we, know. But at least he knows now. But he uh, he had the Rorschach mask on, and we did a, a quick interview with him. And I was just feeding him lines so he could repeat them back to camera. And so we kind of shines like behind his mask. <laughs> so I go, well, do you know where Rorschach came from? And no, and I said he's based on a character called the Question, and he's okay. And I said, do you know who's created by? And he goes, no. And I go, okay, he's created by a man called Steve Ditko. Do you know who he is? No. Okay, co-creator of Spider-Man. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that was so so he started emailing us and telling us that he started researching the character and he found it fascinating. And now he's in our, yeah, we find him in the audience in lots of the panels. So. Yeah, he's wow. great. There's, there's not a lot of, of reprint for Charlton. So if oh. you if you really want to dig deep, you've got to go into some old guys long boxes or your your tag shops and stuff like that. Yeah, if yeah. you want to see read the action heroes, DC did those DC masterworks and they they reprinted a lot of the old Charlton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But aside from that, you're right, they're virtually impossible. Your your you're fighting right. fives and your tales of the unexpected are not, are, not readily yeah. available. They're not cheap. That's what bothers us you know we were gonna buy a bunch of them for b-roll and stuff and you go in there like they want like 10 bucks for a beat up old unusual tales or something it's like what yeah come on they they hold their value for some reason probably because they were low print runs and there aren't many left mm-hmm. that's interesting uh, a lot of uh, my recollection of charlton um toward the in the 70s and 80s a lot of it was um licensed material that they picked up after after I think Gold Key stopped doing licensing or whatever. And uh, I remember a story that Joe Staten told me about doing the $6 million man where he got hired to do the book and there was no reference material and there was there was no VCRs at the time and he lived so far out that did yeah. he tell you the story where he he couldn't pick up the TV station, he couldn't pick up the network that ran the $6 million man? So, I don't know if he told us that. No. But, yeah, he had to get a hotel room in uh, an area that uh, that actually picked up the $6 million man and drew from the television. <laughs> That's great. We heard similar stories at that panel we went to where uh, they'd get the toys from the toy company and they'd say, well, what's the backstory of the heroes and villains? Ah, whatever, just do whatever you want, you know, was what they were like they were told to do. Um, just some goofy stuff. Um you know, and then, you know, they were told, you know, we've been told that they had free reign, a lot of these guys, creativity, uh, creatively. Um, John Samangelo barely paid them a visit. And if he did, it was usually because he was touring somebody through the factory. So, you know, they had, they, they got to do what they wanted, pretty much. Um, as Paul Coverbrook says in the trailer, um, within the boundaries of good taste in the comics code. 
But, I mean, how often did Troughton really run into issues with the comics code? You know, I mean, is it something that they, they took... Is it something they took into consideration? Their pre-code um, horror stories were pretty graphic. Um, but, I mean, it was it was really along the same lines of what Marvel and DC were doing. Uh, they just... When you didn't have somebody, you know, dog watching you, I guess the boobs were bigger and the blood was more plentiful. It's, and then when someone says, uh, you know, erase that cleavage line, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, okay, it's, you have to work with the restrictions. Right. But, right. And they were one of the few companies that survived, the, you know, the, the crash of the 50s. Right. You know, even in, during that time, they got wiped out by a hurricane and still survived that. So, <laughs> We're pretty resilient, and it's kind of odd that it would end the way it did, considering they were so resilient through all that. Yeah. Well, tell me how it ended. Uh, quite, quite sadly, it lurched and then died. Um, it started in the the early '80s, where they stopped doing new material. They were just doing reprints. Doing like three three comics in a bag, grab baggy things. Yeah, I remember would, those. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'd sell them under the the modern imprint. They'd yeah, sell them, like, like Toys like, R Us, Sears, and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then they, they tried Bullseye. They gave that a whirl, uh, that I don't, I'm not sure if it, if it just didn't do enough in sales. I'm not sure why that failed, but they canceled that pretty quickly. Charlton Bullseye, by the way, being an an anthology title for, for those of you who aren't, uh, who aren't hip to the, to the history of Charlton. Which all, which began as a fanzine in the seventies and they kind of took the name and rebooted it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then... The the last printing, the cover date was February of 1986, but everything actually was finished through the presses by October of 1985, the last one being Professor Coffin number 21. Um, but yeah, they, they it just, I'm not even going to say it struggled and died. It was just something like you just... I don't know. You see something just slowly dying in front of you. No one jumped in to help. It's like when you hit a possum and it slowly crawls into the weeds. <laughs> yeah. Well, eighty-five was was an interesting time for the for the business of comics because that was about the time that that newsstand distribution was drying up and it was going direct market. Right. Yeah. Was exactly. was it Charlton's refusal to go along with you know to join Diamond or, or go into the direct distribution market? I, I don't even think it's that. I think a lot of it had to do is when John San Angelo Sr. passed away in 79. Uh, we learned from George Wildman, who was the uh, the executive editor there. He he told us that John San Angelo Sr. bailed out the company twice. He really loved his company. Um, and when he passed away, I think the the true love behind the company kind of faded away. And everybody else was just in it because it was a job. It was a way to make a living, but nobody cared as right. much as he did. And especially if they didn't care about the comics to begin with, one of the first things to go would be, it would be the that. comics. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, because they, um, you know, with with uh, with QC being low uh, to begin with, you know, when the when the few people who care start to not care, um, yeah. you can kind of watch the the heartbeat kind of kind of drop off. It's really really interesting. But around that time, that's when Paul Levitz bought the action heroes for Dick Giordano and brought them over to D.C., right? Yeah, that was in 1983. Three, yeah. uh, Dick had already left, and uh, 
that's when they started selling off rights. Um, there was a few other titles that, like, there was a, a man by John Lustig. He 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 heard the town was going under, and he said, "I just want to buy something." And for the most bang for his buck, he acquired Last Kiss, a romance comic, forty issues for four hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. And he had no interest in romance. He just wanted to buy something. And so he now he reissues Last Kiss, uh, but he just changes what's in the, the word balloons and he makes it more modern and tongue-in-cheek humor. Uh, and then there was a man by uh, Roger Broughton. Broughton who came down from Canada and he put everything in a sack and took it with him. And nobody knows where this yeah. guy is. The rumor is he took, he like bought the rights to everything. Everything. <laughs> but there's some sidebars to that that some of these things might have had copyright lapsed on them already right uh, um, so they didn't own it to sell yeah um, they might have sold it to a separate person in addition so some characters or some titles might have dual owners and it's a big big mess at the end it was just almost like a feeding frenzy you know yeah um, and yeah because nobody can find Roger nobody can get the truth yeah, like I've even talked to some people who have had, they've said they've been in contact with them, but they're not even sure if they were actually speaking with him. This guy's that mysterious. He's, he'll turn up at a convention at some point, you know. Yeah, uh, demanding uh, royalties from everything that was used illegally. <laughs> That's <laughs> probably works, true. Right? But, you know, Charlton also had, had creator-owned properties. If I remember right, John Burns wrote 2000. And yep. and E Man were owned by their respective creators. Yes. Yeah, it's a good story actually. And um, our interview with Joe Staten's been transcribed into the new Charlton Arrow number five comic book. And he talks about what the him and Nick Cuddy went through to get E Man back. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story. But yes, they do own the rights to E Man again. Um, yeah, um, a lot of it was was creator owned for a while. And, yeah. You know, it's the copyright thing's a huge like. A huge mess. It's it's completely it's hard. Like I don't I don't know if we'll ever get the true answer on that. It's it's difficult, yeah. If the people are still allowed to tell us what they went through, that's the most truth we'll get out of it. But nitty gritty, there's a lot of people just kind of shrug. Go, I don't I don't know. Yeah, they honestly don't <laughs> they know. Don't know. <laughs> and and the records don't exist anymore. I think it was very shoddy record keeping. Uh, Jackie and I were stunned early on in this project. We stopped by the Derby Historical Society to see what they had on Charlton, and the answer was absolutely nothing. Wow. Um, yeah, which is shocking for something that big and that famous, uh, probably the most the successful most business to come out of Derby. And definitely the biggest business in Derby. And ironically, they had this book called The History of Derby, the thickest of phone book. Okay. Published, published by Charlton Press, John St. Angelo, right on the back. Published by, donated by John St. Angelo, and, but there's not a single... Blurb, blurb picture. about Charlton in there. Nothing. Not nothing. Not even about the fire or the hurricane. No, no, nothing. 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 And and part of one of the challenges we're having putting this this show together is we can't find any legacy stuff. We can't find any photos. We can't find. It's really it's weird really how scarce uh, the resources are. To, to yeah, I mean, Jackie's done an amazing job researching this because there's nothing on the internet. You know, she's had to go back to. Microfilm. Microfiche, yeah. Like, for the kids under 30 out there who don't know what that is, <laughs> scanned newspapers on a film strip and you have to look at them through with this magnifying thing. So, um, you know, it's it's really weird how under lock and key 
that whole operation was. Um, there's just nothing there. You think that's a, a function of, of business at the time, or do you think it's a function of the fact that the business started with two guys in a prison cell? Well, I'll say it has to do with business. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And, and uh, that's that's the business. Um, you keep your comics. Uh, you keep your comics to yourself, and that's all you talk about. Yeah, got it. Um, yeah. There's been a couple people who have. Um, we went to the Derby Library and the head librarian like almost did a backpedal when we mentioned She it. gave such a side eye to us when we mentioned the owner's name. So there was some dubious um, business connections, we'll say. It is yeah. possible people know more than they're saying, but for Absolutely. the for the safety, oh, oh. they're not saying a whole lot is what you're telling me. Do we dare bring up that guy? Nah, <laughs> he's not worth a mention. We talked to a guy that... <laughs> He definitely alluded to a lot of things that we we don't want to mention, only because the connections would be only one generation removed. That's still too close for our comfort. And even in some of the interviews with the guys, they've mentioned things that it would probably be in our best interest. Unsavory stuff. Not I see. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, if we were doing a show about the entire publishing thing, we could probably go down that road uh, at the risks of our... Yeah, so we'll just be alluding we'll to We'll just it. talk about the phony books, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, I'll, I'll be... If, if this story ever comes out, I'll be hitting one of the news sites. It'll be local documentary producer finds horse in bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're on, yeah, we're on the same page, Tim. Yeah. Got it. All right, got Thank it. You. Between the lines. Enough, yes. enough said there. All right, so so Jackie, as you do your research and as you go through this microfish, which doesn't allow you Boolean string search, so you have to read every damn word on those things, um, what are some of the weirdest things that you can talk about that you found in your research? Um, I think, I think not so much weird, but it's just finding the, the who's who, who work there. And she's, we're able to start stitching together timelines and events, which will help us when we put the narrative together. A lot of that was missing before. It was just a bunch of funny anecdotes. Yeah, so now it's, I mean, I'm going through microfilm. I'm going through, there There have been some fan publications, uh, such as the Charlton Spotlight put out by Michael Ambrose. Um, he's up to issue number seven or nine, somewhere around there. 
And then Two Morals Publishing put out a two-magazine issue all about Charlton back in the early 2000s. So I've, I've yep. taken yep. those. Comic Book Artist, yeah. Uh, yeah, Comic Book Arts Magazine. I've gone through both of those publications, <coughs> dug things out. Um, when they give me something that can go along with a historical event, then I can cross-reference with newspapers to confirm or deny certain things. Um, but it's... It, it got to the point where I couldn't contain everything in a notebook. I couldn't do it in an Excel spreadsheet. So I literally cleared one of my dining room walls. And now I'm sticking note cards to the wall with, with string attaching things that are connected to each other. Because the story is just so big that you, you can't look at it on a single page or flip through a notebook. Is there concern that it will outgrow the, the, the confines of a, of a movie, of a documentary? It already has. Yeah, it has. Um, so we're going to have to whittle it our, down. Our... Our goal with the movie is to just keep it in the vein of the trailer, keep it light and moving. Um, you obviously can't tell the tell-all Ken Burns 16-episode marathon. <laughs> uh, if down the road people want something like that, that's fine too. That's fine. But um, we won't say, but we're talking about a companion kind of thing. So. Yeah. Could we do what? The thing is that there's no love for Charlton on the internet. There, nobody has taken the time to give the accolades that this company deserves. And so we want to make sure that if someone sees the documentary and goes, well, well, wait, there's definitely more to the story, that they have a way to get this. Yeah, there will be definitely more to the story. <laughs> yeah, and, All right. and that's right to talking to people who worked at the factory. And I've made mention, and the message doesn't seem to be getting out there. I want to talk to everybody. If you took out the trash on, on a single day, if you swept the floors, I want to talk to you. Because you saw things that I can't see, I can't go back and look at because it's, it's gone. And on that note, it just seems like the few people we have tried to approach are kind of reluctant to they, they talk get, They about clam anything. up right away. Yeah. There are people who reached out, hey, I work there, you know, and it sounds all great. I reach out, oh yeah. my gosh, can then I? They, they don't, yeah, they, it's funny, they come forward and then run away. Yeah, yeah. I say, like, hey, can I talk to you? And nothing, dead silence, no email well, back. Maybe they woke up with a horse head in the bed. Uh, so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. They apparently there's still come some kind of stronghold. The, the, the question is, why come forward if you don't want to participate? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Really. Well, I mean, perhaps they come I forward and then they are persuaded to take a few steps backwards. I wouldn't doubt it. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, then based on that, it, and I say this with all due respect, is there any concern for your own safety as you dig deep in this? That's why we're. Only That's why we're only going to talk about the funny books. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's hard because you know, how do you vet this and how do you prove certain statements? If, like you said, a lot of the players are gone, so it's all rumor, hearsay, and conjecture, and it's not our job to say this is the truth. Um, it's a documentary, which means we're documenting what we hear. Right. So, you know. Will the movie have uh, complete truth in it? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But we're going to try to be as truthful as we best. can. We'll do our best. But the goal of the movie is to entertain people for a good hour and a half, hour 45. Yeah. Um, you know, and leave them walking away with, you know, like like the panel did for us. They walk away going, I never knew that. That's really cool. It's really interesting. And maybe spur them to, to get start reading the new Charlton Neo comics or start trying to find old Charlton comics and or just, you know, do a little research and become a little comic historian. That's the goal of the movie. Well, that, uh, beyond that, you know, 
we'll see where it goes. That brings up a good point. Obviously, you both love comics as a medium. And so as you as you go down the Charlton rabbit hole, where are the great comics? Where are the great, the really essential reading Charlton's? What are the ones that we need to pick up and read? Well, here's the thing. Charlton has something for everybody. Yeah. So you're not limited like to just superheroes or just horror. You've got Western. You've got romance. And I will say, even if you're not into romance comics, you should really check them out because the storylines are absolutely hilarious. You've got secretaries who are in love with their bosses and they're fat, so they they lose all the weight and then suddenly he marries them. Like, laugh out loud kind of stupid tales like women sensibilities from the time yeah it's so they're they're fun just for like a, a haha moment but that the best part is that you can find something for everybody um, yeah, i read one uh that was done in the 70s it had this hippie hitchhiker guy and he's you know no no worry about like getting killed or mugged or anything oh yeah let's hop in this car you know the people pick him up like oh he looks safe and oh it's just hilarious <laughs> You know, to, to go back in the time machine to the way people, you know, the sensibilities, the way people thought yeah. is, is fun. And I the, mean, we've got comics like Black Fury, which is the adventures of a black stallion horse. It's it, There's really is something for everyone. Th- that's a good, uh, Jackie made a great point. There's something for everyone. So if you have a certain interest, you'll find it at Charlton. Yeah. You know, that's that's actually a very good point. The the action hero books were, were interesting. Um, and I've kind of dug back into some of the licensed books, like George Wildman's Popeye. Yeah. Right. I yep. think really holds its own against, uh, I mean, and Sagendorf's Popeye comics were a pretty high standard for Popeye stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But George Wildman's uh, stories and art, I, I think, hold up toe to toe against anything else, you know? I think that a lot of that has to do is that. George said that he loved Popeye since he was a kid. And so when Gold Key gave the properties over to Charlton, he his stipulation was, I'll become the executive editor if I can have Popeye. Right. I want that to be my book. Um, so there was a lot of love going into that. And I think that's why they're so good, is that the people who did these stories, they really loved what they were doing. They loved their characters. They took pride in them. And because he was an illustrator, it kept him active. He got to draw and be creative not just be the boss, you know. Yeah, they're hump, humping around the factory, telling people to meet their deadlines or what have you. So, um, yeah, we were lucky enough to to talk to him about a month before he passed. Um, so, yeah, he'll be in the movie. Fantastic! Yeah, when when yeah. he when he passed, um, I called my friend Bobby London, who uh, was the newspaper artist for for Popeye at the time that the Charlton books were coming out and I'm like I don't know if you ever met the guy but I would imagine there's a fraternity of people who were gatekeeper or who were care caregivers for Popeye during his during his publishing yeah. and he's like yeah you know I met him once and he was really nice to me and I loved his work and I'm like well that says a lot you know yeah yeah I uh I have a framed Popeye he drew for me on that day no on my wall yeah, yeah. would yeah. you mind sending me a picture of that that would, would be really cool. I'll do that. Yeah, we all got one. Yeah. We did one for even did one for the grips and everybody that day. Yeah, how cool. Yeah, what was he even, was great. Even cooler though is that George rebranded the the Charlton Comics logo. Yeah, I was going to say that he he took it upon himself one day to he was taking a woodworking class and he made the Charlton bullseye in a woodworking class and. Someone said something about just, you know, varnish it and leave it as it is. And he goes, no, I want to paint this and I want to bring it to a meeting and I want to present it. 
And so he, he painted it with the blue and white and red that we know today. He brought it to the meeting. They fell head over heels in love with it. And so he's responsible for the bullseye rebranding. Wow. Which led to the bullseye, you know, naming. Of the course. Naming, yeah. And then even cooler, because George was in advertising, he knew how to get the word out. So he took the tractor trailers that were for deliveries for Charlton and he put the comic book heroes on the side of the tractor trailer so they were mobile billboards. So no, like, really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, he had advertising going across the country up into Canada. So people people knew. And the truckers got a kick out of it because other truckers would recognize them because of their, their trucks. Yeah, comic book characters all over the trucks. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. In the in the seventies when, when that kind of stuff wasn't happening, you know. Right, yeah. it wasn't happening. Like they were soup to nuts, like you brought up earlier. They did everything front front to back. They didn't go through a single third party mm-hmm. uh, which you never see again. Have you found it's, sales records? No. Because no. I'm curious what like the best selling Charlton titles were. Um, no, and it's it's funny, like even when DC acquired the action hero line, they asked Charlton to send over their records and they, they said, Oh, we don't have them. And then some guy who was a fan of Charlton, who might, who was trying to get a publishing deal through them, visited the factory and he found them. And he told Giordano, he goes, Hey, I found those, those stats that you were looking for. Um, I wasn't allowed to take them, but if you send a liaison down there in this room in this pile, so go pick them up. I don't know if that ever happened. Um, <laughs> do you have sales figures no we don't got no sales no. figures well and it's funny <laughs> the, the the e-man licensing when joe staten and nick cuddy were trying to get the e-man all they all charlton wanted them to do is pay off the debt that they had on the title of the time <laughs> they didn't put a value on the character they just said here's how much we owe pay that and it's yours so <laughs> wow and yeah. that book only ran like 13 issues with charlton so, yeah it didn't go very long so they essentially made e-man an indentured servant you know, before we go any further, I just wanted to make one more mention about uh, George Wildman's bullseye Absolutely. logo. The wood, the wood thing, which is awesome to see. Um, he never put his name on it, and Jackie got him to sign it. Yeah, so it's been authenticated. He, he authenticated it, and it's crazy to think that you know he passed a month later, and it was shocking to us that he did. But, um, yeah, it's like you kind of – that's history right there. You just – you. Forced history yes, on that man. I forced history, and we have footage it. of him signing it. Yeah. So. Now, does his estate actually have the the bullseye, or do you oh, yeah, guys have son, it? Carl's awesome. His and... son Carl, who actually worked at the factory, yeah. um, which is cool too, because Carl Carl Weldon has been a huge asset. Uh, he set up the interview with George, but also he tells us about the people who worked there and what went on in the factory. Um, Carl has everything. Carl had, and George saved a lot. He didn't get he did. rid of much, so it's it's nice that Carl loved that material as much as his dad did. And Carl's told us since we visited, uh, George got re-inspired and started digging it out. Yeah. That was when I talked to Carl, like maybe two days after the interview, just to, just to catch up again. He said, you know, my dad was, was so excited to hear that Charlton wasn't gone. It's still alive. It's just alive in a different medium. That's then, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And we should probably give credit on, on the fact that it's coming back to Fester and Mort and Paul Kupperberg and, and all the Roger McKenzie and the guys who have decided to uh, resuscitate it and, and rebrand it and put out new books. Um, and there's a, there's a man that goes by the name of Fester Faceplant and he started, um, he was looking for more information on Charlton and couldn't find it. So he started um, the Charlton Reading Library where you can go online, you can read some of the old Charlton comics. 
And he had such a following on there that he started a Facebook page in 2011. And then a lot of the comic book creators from Charlton joined in on this Facebook page. And somebody said, hey, what are you guys going to do now? And, and so now Charlton Neo Media was born. And the official resurgence was in 2014, right yeah. before we got the idea for the documentary. Yeah, when we uh, we pitched the idea to Denny O'Neill, Paul Coverig, and Bob Layton at the con, Paul, I think they're on issue two of the Charlton yeah. Era at the time. It just come out. Yep, and they are. It's available on Comixology, so you don't even have to leave your house to yeah. pick up yeah. copies Amazon, of the. You get them on Amazon. You um, go right to mortodd.com, M-O-R-T-T-O-D-D.com. Yeah, and Mort's actually got a bunch of titles now. It's not just Charles yeah. Arrow. There's a whole bunch. Um, He's even got, like, Ditko's Weird Tales, yeah. which is an all-Ditko book. A lot of old, unpublished Ditko stuff. And yeah, it's really interesting. So, And it's getting bigger and better. And, um, you know, we wish those guys well. And, and they're a perfect, um, you know, cross-promotional machine. Yeah. So we're kind of working together with them to bring the whole thing together and not... Uh, you know, Mort had the good idea to put one of our interviews in the newest issue of Arrow. And I think he's going to kind of try to make that a regular feature going forward. That's really, that's that's interesting fandom synergy. Um, yeah. It is. It it, is. It's got to be interesting as you come across a lot of these creators who are like, I didn't know anybody even remembered that I did this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, that they've got to see, I mean, every artist I know, has some pride in their work, no matter how commercial it is. Yeah. And or every writer for that matter. And even if they're just cranking it out, um, you know, to know that it made an impact, it's got to be interesting for somebody. What kind of responses have you gotten from guys like Denny O'Neill or Kupperberg or any of the folks that that uh... they're all excited to do this? Mm -hmm. And I think the ones that stick out in my mind most, uh, Neil Adams comes to mind. Yeah. We asked Neil if he would talk to us, and he said, well, I was, you know, I did, I was at Charlton for a cup of coffee, but okay, I'll give you, you know, I'll say what I can, it'll probably take five minutes. We were a good half hour into it. <laughs> we, we had to stop because we interviewed him in the main lobby of the con before it opened, and we didn't expect to go that long, and they wanted to open the show, and we were right in the way, so we had to pack up, and he wanted to keep going. Once he started reminiscing and realizing that he actually did play a bigger role than he yeah. thought, because he was in charge of continuity for a couple of titles. So um, him or even like Jose Garcia Lopez, who's beyond terrified of a camera, <laughs> um, you know, he, he, he's warming up more and more. And we're going to probably interview him again because we just ambushed him. Um, but, you know, he's, he did a bunch of romance comics. He didn't even know he was drawing for Charlton. His agent would just say, "Here, draw these," and he would draw. Them. He didn't know who he was drawing. And he just sent in the pages and didn't know when they'd show up yeah. or where, yeah. huh? But even Joe Sinnott, you know, um, it, it got him thinking. And him and his son went and pulled all the titles he did. And it was what, over two thousand. Yeah, it was. It's ridiculous. And you know, they're all proud of that time. There was something. There's a little glimmer in the, you know, a gleam in their eye, and they get excited about it. Um, maybe it's because they had the creative freedom, or. Or it's, you know, fond memories of where they got their start. Um, you know, they all say the same thing. I wish I made more money and I didn't make any money there. But, um, but they really loved what they did. They did. Like guys like Frank McLaughlin. I mean, he he's so passionate about his mm -hmm. time there. Um, yeah, it just nobody seems to want to turn us down. Um, no. We've got some camera shy people who are afraid. Uh, Mike Zek is camera shy, but he's slowly warming up. It was nice though when we saw we saw Mike Zek 
uh, right after we interviewed George Wildman, and George actually kept a letter that Mike Zeck sent to him and said, hey, I, sadly, I heard Charlton shutting down. Is it possible that I can get any of my old artwork back? Right. And George was, uh, he was able to follow through and get Mike Zeck some of his original pages back. So when Carl showed me this letter, I took a picture of it, and then I saw Mike Zeck at the con, and I told him I had this letter, and I showed him a picture of it, and he... It was on my phone. He took my phone and he stood there for like a solid two minutes and he reread that letter that he wrote to George 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and then I said, I took some pictures of George. Do you want to see them? And he goes, sure. And he looked at them and just the way he was looking at them, it's like it, you could see, like I keep saying, the love in his eyes. Like these people really did love working for this company. There's something special about it. And, you know, and we're still trying to show people that we're not fanboys with the camcorder. Yeah. Um, you know, and what helped was dropping the trailer at the con at right. the Mohicans on a year ago. Like that, even the guys we were working with, like Paul Kupperberg, and when they saw it, they were like, oh, wow. You, you guys know, are serious. Roy Thomas. And they, they all went, wow, okay, this is not. Okay, this is legit. This is like, <laughs> hey, remember, Bob, remember you know? Peacemaker? That was awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. and Bob uh, Layton, too. I mean, he, you know, he asked me to call him. I called him up, and I was like, hey, Bob, it's Keith from the Troll. And he goes, I know who you are. I'm a big fan. And like, it's kind of weird. <laughs> you yeah. sound, you you know, sound just he's, like He's him. showing the trailer all over L.A. and blah, 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 now that he's moved to Florida. But, um, yeah, that was big. So we're going to be cutting another one uh, to launch again, you know, calendar year later, a new one. Um it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to have a different tone. It's going to be fun. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 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 Tell me about the tone, the change in tone. Well, We're just going to kind of goof, make it even goofier. You've, you've, you've seen movie trailers, the traditional movie trailer over and over the same algorithm. Right. With the uh, with the bass drop and the echoey voices and the sad looks. So we're going to we're going to emulate your stereotypical movie trailer. We're going to make it look like a real drama. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. With the Charlton spin on it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be kind of hilarious (laughs) just to kind of, you know, throw the, throw the people in a different direction. Like what the hell are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) And we can look for that toward the beginning of the year, huh? No, it'll be, we're going to drop it at the Mohegan sun show again. So great. uh, yeah. yeah, Mitch Halleck, the guy who runs that show, is a friend of ours, and he's been a huge supporter of this. So since day one, since day one, and uh, he did a spectacular interview for the for the thing, and um, so we kind of, you know, we're loyal, and, and Mitch is our guy. So every major um, piece of media will always drop at his shows, or you know, so he gets first dibs on anything new that we do. That's very fair. Are you coming to any of the West Coast conventions this? Of the season, um, we'd, we'd like to uh, yeah. budget budget. Uh, you know, it's a budgeting thing. We were asked sure. to go to Emerald City Con uh, to do a fifteen-minute panel or something. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, we can't justify going all the way out. That's a lot of money that we could spend on a movie. You know, so um, we'll probably end up going that way afterwards okay. when it's released. You know, we're hoping to get this done by late summer next year, and. Um, it depends on a couple of variables, but if that happens, then, you know, there'll be obviously a press tour, if you will. A road show. 
Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That'd be great. Well, you never know who's listening to Deep Dish Radio, and uh, you've dropped a lot of names that that have have either been on the show or uh, are in contact with the show. Are there interviews you want to get that you haven't been able to reach? Oh, uh, to reach? Yeah. I think we've talked to everybody. Yeah. Just, it's just a matter of getting to them. And Keith and I both work freelance jobs. So right. our, our jobs, like we can get a phone call tonight and we got to be in a different state tomorrow morning. Um, so trying to coordinate our plans and then on top of coordinating with another creative person saying, okay, we have next week free. Are you yeah. home? <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're working out some things that might help alleviate that process and expedite things, yeah. if you will. So sure. I don't really want to go into that right now, but okay. it's for a future episode. Yeah. Um, no, it's just, it's, um, you know, like you said, the names, that was kind of the idea behind the trailer too. The, the first trailer, Jackie and I put all our own resources into shooting that trailer and getting the heroes on there. We knew that if people saw Denny O'Neill, Bob Layton, Paul Kupperberg, uh, Frank McLaughlin, Neil Adams, those kind of faces on there, it'd be like, holy shit. Yeah, is this? <laughs> this is, a, this is no, the real for, deal. Right, versus, you know, a couple of the guys that are local and not so well known. So um, I think that worked right away. Yeah. Um, so I think that was definitely worth running around last summer to get that done. And the other side of that is once we interview these guys, like we finished interviewing Denny and he goes, you talk to Steve Skates? Yeah, we're Facebook friends. Oh, how's he doing? And it's like, really? You, you haven't talked to your friend, and but I'm his friend now. And they've been reaching out to each other and saying, hey, have you talked to the Trout guys yet? Yeah, it's kind of cool. And what we want to do ultimately is when it's finished, we want to have a big screening in the Manhattan area and put them all in the same room together. Yeah. Like Big old possibly for the again. last time, and uh, allow you know maybe a certain number of, of fans or backers to come and be part of that. So um, that's kind of a pipe dream we have. Definitely. How far away from having a, a, a finished print are you? Like I said, our goal right now, our target date is uh, end of August next year, so right? You know, Labor Day ish. Um, and that's based on what we think could happen. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, if what we think happens doesn't happen and we have to keep cruising the way we're cruising, you might have to tack another year onto that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it, it it's a work in progress. Uh, we just keep motoring along and doing what we can when we can. But here's the other thing. Since we've started this project, it, it's almost as if it's been lying in wait. And it was just waiting. And I'm not going to say for the, the right people to come along, but this project has a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And Keith and I are just lucky to be the vehicles and the mouthpieces. Um, everything seems to fall into place when it needs to. When it to. needs to. It's a good point. So we're not worried about this project. It's There's... There's a great, there's a greater film got out there that's keeping watch over this and saying it's going to happen when it needs to happen. So just do as you need to yeah. do, and don't worry about it. We we originally were thinking very small with this project to sell it to the local PBS affiliate because it's a Connecticut story. And a friend of mine in LA, a producer, looked at my treatment and called me up and said, "You're crazy. This has far more legs than that. This is a big project." So, and he was working with us until he passed away uh, in February from ALS and yeah, yeah it's I'm still not right with that but um a lot of the the stuff he told us in how to be patient and this will take time and 
you know, don't be surprised if this happens after this amount of time. And he's kind of been right on yeah. target. He really has. Um, so, you know, not that Dennis is watching down on us, but it's almost like he's been our little, just guiding us the whole way. Mm. He wasn't super active as a producer. His job was to get us distribution at the end because he had that all figured out. But uh, his timelines and just be patient and it's ebbs and flows and it's been ebbs and flows. It's, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden we'll just knock out a whole bunch of stuff and then three or four weeks will go by and we don't lift a finger, you know? Yeah. But it all gets done. It's all right on schedule for the most yeah. part as we originally mapped out. Um, I look back, it was this time last year, we actually just got started shooting stuff. Yeah. So, you know. Has it really been a year already? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We hatched the idea two years ago in August. It'll be two years in August. Okay. We did our first full-length interview in May of last year. Right. Uh, that was uh, Joe State. And we had done previous interviews with, like, Bob Layton and Paul Kupperberg, but they were just more soundbite interviews. They were for the trailer. Yeah. Right. It was like we set up for 10 minutes and said, just give us trailer soundbites. Yeah. So we'll be doing Bob and Paul formally uh, again. Soon. Yeah. But, um, yeah, up, up to that point, it was pre-production. We were taking Kupperberg out to dinner and kind of figuring out whose role was what and, you know, how much they would be expecting on the back end and, you know, getting all those stupid things out of the way. Right. Um, we've really taken our time and made sure that we're doing this right the first time. We we owe it to the comic book legends that work at this company. This movie's for them. Yeah. Um, In fact, uh, we we have a goal to donate a percentage uh, of whatever we can get back uh, to the Hero Initiative. Excellent. Which is another thing that spurned the whole idea. You know, I was looking at the flyer I got from Denny and at the con, and I was like, geez, I wish I could contribute more than like 50 bucks. You know, do something substantial and then i was thinking about the panel i went oh my god that's that's it we make a movie and we sell the freaking movie you know and then i give some money to them so uh that's kind of the genesis of it well it is uh it's clearly a labor of love but it's also a business so deep dishers if you want to get behind (laughs) this the website is charltonmovie.com and not only can you see pictures of Keith and Jackie, which are Im- invaluable at any price, but you can also get behind this. There are uh, there are opportunities for uh, to back this movie and and get behind it. So if you're a Charlton fan, if you're a Charlton creator who hasn't yet been part of this yet, if you are just a comic book fan who, like our young friend, has burned out on all the if you'll pardon the pun, burned out on all the Marvels and DCs, and you want to read something new by Jim Aparo or John Byrne or whatever um this is really something to get behind it's charltonthemovie.com guys why don't you tell us about the other social media where folks can connect with you uh we are on facebook at charlton movie same name on twitter at charlton movie and instagram um keith is over on twitter i'm on facebook we try to stay as active as possible yeah um we do periscoping once in a while in fact all our panels will probably be periscoped going forward um yeah, I mean, we can't do all the social media things we've tried. It's just that we're just a team of two, so we're doing the best we can to get out there to everybody out in the Team world. of two and a couple of buddies who volunteer to come to crew with us on these shoots. It's yeah. invaluable. Um, can't thank them enough. Yeah. Um, you know, hope to someday be able to repay them. them. Yeah, give them some, some cash for what they did. Right so, now they're paid in coffee and donuts. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't, don't not coffee and donuts. I was in radio for four years and all I got was coffee and donuts. There's nothing wrong with And that. besides that, ironically, you pay better than Charlton. And, uh, 
And on that note, the Charlton Neo stuff, like we said before, if you go to mortod.com or it's uh, charltonneo.blogspot.com, you can actually, if you're a creator, submit story or art, and there's a good chance that you might actually get picked up and printed. Mm -hmm. They aren't paying right now because they're self-publishing, but it's a chance to get some exposure. Be part of history. Yeah, so they're taking submissions, um, and you can become part of Charlton 2.0. You gotta love it, guys. All right. Well, thank you very, very much. Thanks, uh, Thanks Tim. My pleasure. The the website again, charltonthemovie.com. Check it out right now. Watch the trailers and then uh, send these guys a check, will you? Because what they're doing is God's work. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.